But the magic is when you find the, the one or two people that are also really passionate in what this entrepreneur is doing and maybe would have done it themselves if they had chosen a different path, right? So they want to like live through this entrepreneur because they also see the future trending, you know, aligning with the, with the founder's vision. They want to be part of that. It, it does happen. And we've had several cases where, where that expertise does commit and works with that founder. Hey everyone, welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, Ewan Gutridge, is currently the Director of Technical Program Management at Waymo. Before that, he was at Uber ATG and has spent the last seven years focused on building autonomous vehicle technology. In today's interview, we not only talk about how to assemble a team in pursuit of such a lofty goal, but we also talk about how that experience has informed his angel investing. In addition to his full-time gig, Ewan runs an angel list syndicate where he has invested in a portfolio of technology companies. We talk about how he pitches himself and his syndicate on the basis of their technological expertise and the thesis that they are pursuing when they make their investments. This is a very heady, highly informative conversation that I think you're going to take a ton away from. Here is Ewan Gutridge. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Ewan, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for the time. I want to start off. You spent the last seven years focused on building in the space of autonomy between uh, Uber ATG and Waymo, two of the you know, maybe biggest or at least most uh, kind of media covered companies in the space. So before we kind of get into the investing and all the different things that you have your hands on, let's just start off with uh, what the focus of that work has been and the role that you've played within those uh, pretty prolific teams. Sure. On, on your point of most media covered, I think one for the right reason, one for the wrong reason. Uh, True. Some stories there for sure. That was fun. So yeah, brief background, uh, did a CS3 a long time ago, did a bunch of startups in London, then moved around with Google for a while. I ended up about six, seven years ago in Mountain View uh, with Google. And um, I'd flown back and forth to Pittsburgh to, to meet with Google engineering team. So I knew Pittsburgh pretty well. And uh, found it a really, really nice place with very uh, smart, engaging people, like an amazing pool of talent here. And um, I had a cold call from the guy that founded Uber ATG. At the time, I think it was about 80 people in uh, ATG. It was just, just being spun up out of Uber to start their self-driving of Uber. And um, we were chatting on the phone for an hour or so. And then he paused at the end and said, you know, Ewan, the position's in Pittsburgh. Is that all right? And he literally expected me to just hang up at that point. I, I was like, yeah, of course. I see you Monday. Like, when do I start? I love Pittsburgh. And the guy was astonished. So that led me to start my journey in Pittsburgh and in Uber ATG. I moved my family over from the Bay to um, here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I then spent the last four years in Uber ATG. My, my speciality, so to speak, is program management. So I, I led a team of technical program managers there. We did all sorts from building the vehicle, building the sensor set on the vehicle to obviously the software stack and then the operational deployment of, of the vehicle and the testing. 
And then um, <clears throat> after that four years, I, I took a break. Um, I started Reinforced Ventures, which I'm sure we'll chat about in a bit. And then eight months into that, although I loved what I was doing with Reinforced, I still felt this big void in my life that I wanted to go back to the technical complexity of self-driving and the, the organizational uh, challenges you get with you know 2,000 person organizations. Especially when you're developing unprecedented tech, it uh, presents some very interesting you know, interpersonal challenges as well. So um, yeah, I, I spoke to a few companies, ended up um, really liking the team at Waymo, and, uh, and here I am. So I've been at Waymo for almost a year now, the time flies. And you know, just to, to hang on that for a second, you talk about these big teams, you talk about the technical complexity, and to sit in a role where you're basically you know, managing these different groups, where my mind always goes to is the real kind of dispersion of technical expertise that is required to bring all those things together. So there's a software component, there's computer vision, there's hardware, there's, there's different pieces of hardware you know, a, a LIDAR system and the expertise of that specific tool versus other elements of how an autonomous vehicle actually comes together. That seems, you know, you, you got to trust and have smart people on your team to be able to make that work. But one of your portfolio companies that reinforced locomotion, um, you know, Chetan was talking about how like we kind of have the guy who, you know, had that expertise in that domain and expertise in that domain and expertise in that domain. And it's com the coming together of all that, that even gives a team a shot of, getting a, a, a thing across the finish line that is so complex. That's very true. You know, you, you definitely have to hire smarter than yourself in these situations because you do need that subject matter expertise. And, and from my team, you know, given that we run projects across all those functions and across all those expertise, I have really learned that, that exposing myself and my team into, you know, real hands-on projects, but move people around in each of those you know, vertical teams, so to speak, to, to build a level of, of expertise or at least understanding, right? And then you can transfer that and then help other teams build that expertise and learning and start to actually be competent in moving work between those teams or across those teams out into the real world of actually delivering a product. Makes sense. And my, my last question there, we can move into reinforced is just from a talent standpoint, like one of, I, I actually sat in uh, back in the day on, and maybe you were even there in, in hindsight, we just didn't know each other yet. But a couple of years ago, I sat in on one of the recruiting trips that, that Uber was doing for the, the robotics talent that was coming out of CMU. And it just pulled in such stark contrast, the you know challenge for talent in that space, you need you need to, to develop people with that kind of multifaceted skill set, but even with the starting you know based engineering talent to be able to contribute at something like that um, was really intense. Given the proliferation of you know Aurora and Argo and all these other companies that are all in pursuit of autonomy, other companies that we've covered here in past episodes of the show, can you talk a, a little bit about? what you've seen, you know, having been in this space for a while, understanding the importance of those smart people on your team, how, like, what is, what is the pitch? How do you, you know, at the margins, win the engineer to your side versus one of your competitors? That's a great question. You know, I, I think it depends on more than just where the, the company is going, whether it was Uber or, or Waymo, um, you know, the, the role for the individual, and I think the the growth they see in that role is super important. The, there are companies and experiences certainly that I've had when I've been looking for roles where, you know, you're told 
this is your role. This is the skill set we need. We're going to evaluate you on that skill set. Your desk is like 93B over there in the left corner. You know, you get a partial window view and, you know, you get coffee at 4 p.m. Relative to other roles where, for example, with Uber ATG, when I was joining, my, my hiring manager at the time was like concerned about, well, we have this big project coming on and I'm not sure if we're going to give you like this project or there's this other one, but I'm not sure when it's going to start. So he was kind of like flustering about whether I'd be worried about whether, you know, I like this project more than that project. And, and I said, look, I, I'm joining the team. I, I don't care if I'm sweeping the floors for the first few months. Like, just, just let me join the team and we'll figure that out later. And so I think, you know, reflecting that back to the candidate in that we're hiring you for your background, your skill set, you know, your interpersonal skills, your communication, like you, we're hiring you. And when you get into our organization, then we'll figure out what the best role is. I mean, yeah, we have like a default of you need to work on motion planning initially or help us solve this problem initially. But, but then really like, you know, we are investing in you for the long term and want to develop the breadth of your skill set and give you that optionality to, to, you know, explore where you find curiosity and follow that in the company. And I, I've heard this really interesting analogy that I, I might butcher minorly here, but um, they were running these simulations and basically asking a, a machine learning algorithm to develop the strongest, like most, most uh, you know, unbreakable structure that it possibly could. And everyone was expecting, you know, will it be all triangles or will it be all squares or circles? Like what's kind of like the repeat, repetitive geometric pattern. And what it ended up developing was this like almost unrecognizable, complex, no kind of noticeable pattern as the thing came together. And, you know, they tested it, it proved to be true. And the person basically was pulling that away to a team analogy where we like to think of almost like that initial example, you kind of fit in box A, you're here to do task Y and just, you know, be a, a widget, be a kind of cog in this structure. But really what you're saying by moving people around into different departments and seeing the whole person and kind of allowing them to allowing it to be co-discovered where they can make their greatest impact and what they can engage with is really this idea of no one is some perfectly, you know, unflawed or, or evenly symmetrical figure that can be fit into an org. It is the fact that, you know, this period of time you may contribute over here and that kind of multifaceted irregular nature is actually going to create the strongest team together because everyone is, is not so siloed and not so stuck in a, a singular box. Yeah, and, and on that point, as the industry is maturing, it, it, there's an interesting trend in, in the talent pool in that you've had these roboticists or machine learning experts that have been working in field of autonomy for you know, five, six years now. And they all started, like if they have been in the field for six, seven years, they pretty much started, unless it was in Waymo, in a, in a company that was building from the ground up, right? Um, and so that was exciting seven years ago because they got to figure out what the processes and infrastructure and like core libraries that needed to be built to actually just just make the damn thing work or be able to you know put a car on the road or whatever robot you're you're, you're putting out in, into service it takes a lot of fundamental infrastructure and data pipelines and processes and training and you know writing stuff down making it repeatable and so these engineers have you know gone through that and some of them because of this consolidation that's been happening recently you know ATG being bought by Aurora, uh, Zooks by Amazon, Lyft by Toyota, et cetera. You know, they're, they're, they're sometimes going to slightly less mature companies or they're leaving and going into other companies. 
And then I've heard this, like, it's absolutely a pattern where, you know, I, I ask, how's it going? It's like, yeah, well, uh, I'm building the same infrastructure I've been building again for the third time in the third company, right? And what people are looking for now is, and this is where I can say women has the advantage given our, our tenure in the industry, is more mature infrastructure and processes. So when they join these companies, they can actually do something different. Like, oh, we hired you for your expertise in building this data pipeline or this, this like edge caching solution or whatever it, it is that we need to just, just get the system working. They don't want to do the same thing again, right? Build the same tool that they built the last two times, but in a different company, in a different environment with the same outcome, right? So where they can leverage an organization's pre-existing infrastructure and processes where they work well and actually build the next layer on top of that and, and really do something different. Right on. So, you know, speaking of building from the ground up here, um, you, you mentioned reinforced ventures, which I want to get to now. Um, let's start with the ground up, not of the companies that you're, you're investing in, but specifically that entity took a break. And the thing that jumped out to me as I'm looking at your website is this core idea of being a technologist, um, having a syndicate of investors that are also or pri primarily technologists and bringing that background uh, analytical framework, potential expertise and assistance when it comes to the startups that you're investing in. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what was the catalyst for starting this angel investing syndicate and a little bit more about the kind of approach that you're taking that frankly, from the first glance is, is different than a majority of the other characters out there? Yeah, I think the one word answer to that is curiosity. So I, I'd been um, personally agent investing for 10, 15 years before I started Reinforced Ventures. And when I, when I took time out from between Uber to G and Waymo, I, I just basically followed that curiosity. Like what would happen if I applied to be a lead on AngelList, which is a platform that I use as the back office for Reinforced Ventures? Or what would happen if I got together the, the people of the, the, the group of like friends and colleagues that I've known for a while that aren't super wealthy, but have enough disposable income to put small checks in. And, you know, what happens if we just pull that together? Firstly, it's going to be an incredibly rich conversation we're going to have because these people have founded their own companies. They've been building like leading or bleeding edge tech and either autonomy or, or computer vision or other super interesting like fields for me, at least. Um, like, let's just get together, have a conversation, understand the Pittsburgh specifically initially environment and who are the startups, what are they doing, where, what resonates with us as, as that group of like technologists, and then um, maybe we'll invest. And so that curiosity really, well, one, led me to understand that I, I can't relax. You know, I, I had planned to take time out and read books and, you know, relax, but that's apparently not possible. So... I ended up filling my, my agenda as if I was working full time again and spent a lot of time in the Schwartz Center and CMU, uh, Alpha Lab, Alpha Lab Gear, uh, Olympus, like all, all the incubators around Pittsburgh just to get to know people and like figure out what the hell's going on, how this thing works. And I think going back to like why I really like being in Pittsburgh is everyone was so welcoming. Like I'm sure that wouldn't happen in the Valley. Like some random guy from the street knocks on the door and says, I mean, literally knocks on the door of an accelerator and says, hey, could I speak to the director? I'm learning how to, you know, like engage with these startups and, and maybe invest. Uh, and yeah, very welcoming, got to know a, a lot of legends in the Pittsburgh space. 
very quickly. And then I think that gave me the confidence to like, oh, okay, I, I think I can pull this together. Um, and so given that we had, you know, pre-existing platforms like AngelList, which enable you to do this very, very easily, once you have a critical mass of people that you trust to do diligence with you and people that you trust will invest with you, and then pulling that together. And, you know, we had a few interesting companies. So uh, we did the diligence and ended up investing. And then one thing led to another, you know, once we figured out how to do that and that it worked and it was, you know, a, a pretty tight, we got to a point where it was a very tight process that we could promise the founder the timeline we take, the process we follow, what they can expect in terms of check size and, uh, you know, our expectations, what we can offer, et cetera. So fast forward to today where we've done, I think 15, 15 deals now. And going back to your point on like this pool of technologists, investors, and why that's different, the feedback I get at least is that the diligence that we do is, uh, let's just say, differentiates, reinforced from other options. And I, I really appreciate that feedback because we put a lot of time into this. Frankly, it's just because it's very interesting and, you know, it's just like, walking into Charlie's chocolate factory every day where you can like lift up the covers and see the inside of a new startup and what the founders like, what the team is like, what, what their dynamic is like, what the technology is like, where their vision is going. And does that, does that vision align with where you see the, the world trending? So all of this is very rich and fascinating and engaging. Hence, just keep on doing this. I, I was fortunate that Waymo, the Waymo legal team approved that, that I could continue doing this in parallel. Um, Google and Waymo are very generous to allow entrepreneurs, et cetera, to, to follow their passion in parallel to contributing to the, the mission. So, yeah, that led us to today. We're um, proud to keep going. And lastly, what I think is very rewarding for us in Reinforced Ventures, talking of myself and our investors, is the Q&A we have with the founders. It turns out the founders love it because we're not a bunch of MBAs asking questions that the founder may not know the answer to. We just want to engage in conversation about the technology and, and how that's trending and how they're thinking about scale and you know potential challenges and problems and how we can help. So yeah, definitely a big passion of mine. The Going Deep podcast is underwritten by Piper Creative. Shooting, editing, and publishing quality content is overwhelming. We make it easy so you can save time, build your brand, and grow faster. Say hello at pipercreative.co. You back to the idea of a diverse team. You think about the different archetypes of a venture investor. You have the very, um, you know, kind of financial analytical investment framework, you know, market sizing type of character. You also have the more traditional business builder um, type of uh, business side of a, a venture entrepreneur who, you know, they've had their success building their own business and can come at it from that side. But, you know, you also need people with some technical acumen and, and having a, a, a board comprised of all those types of characters would kind of, at least in my mind, be the ideal framework for um, how I'd be setting up a, a cap table as a startup. Yeah, I think I think where the rubber hits the road is, you know, it's great that from a founder's perspective, you guys have a, a critical mass of, you know, computer vision, autonomy, software, hardware experts, and we're engaging in this very rich conversation. But if you choose to invest and I choose to accept your investment, I actually need your help, right? Um, this isn't just for fun. I actually have to like build a living for myself, my family, my team. And so 
that that's actually not as easy as it sounds. So all these technologists also have day jobs and passions to follow and not that much time. But the magic is when you find the, the one or two people that are also really passionate in what this entrepreneur is doing and maybe would have done it themselves if they had chosen a different path, right? So they want to like live through this entrepreneur because they also see the future trending, you know, aligning with the, with the founder's vision. They want to be part of that. It, it does happen. And we've had several cases where, where that expertise does commit and works with that founder. One, one um, great recent example is uh, working with Brad from ExoVR. Um, so ExoVR produces a, a solution to provide motion in, in virtual reality. So think of your, your, your Oculus headset. For those of you experienced VR today, in order to move, you basically have to point and click and teleport around the, the virtual environment. Or you can move within, you know, like maybe a two meter square area, four foot square area. And just to touch on that, I've done it within the like limited area of like a living room. And you very quickly are like right up next to the window or the couch or like tripping over the dog toy. And it is uh, uh, perilous. It, it, it is perilous. Yeah. And it also induces motion sickness. Um, yes. The, the, the brain works. Um, and, and so anyway, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to sell the, 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 the company, but long story short, Brad and I are both convinced that VR is uh, totally misunderstood and is, is going through that, that has gone through that trough of disillusionment and, and we're starting to see a, a huge pickup, but it's not there yet. I mean, if you, if you, I don't know if you follow Mark Zuckerberg, but he spends all his Facebook posts on his playing uh, Beat Saber or how he's revolutionizing or how he sees this technology revolutionizing how we work and communicate together. So anyway, there is this big wave coming and I don't think many people see that yet as clearly as Brad does. So getting back to the point, uh, the product Brad built was great, but I had a bit of a timeline ahead of it to, to get to a bit of materials that was more scalable than what Brad has today. And, um, it was great that one of our investors through Reinforce in Ecto was also a uh, mechanical engineering, in my view, genius. I, I worked with him at a previous company. And uh, yeah, he was also fascinated, agreed with where this is trending. And, and now they're working very closely together to, to bring that bit of materials down and to you know, improve the construction. And they made material progress and they probably accelerated the company by a couple of years through that engagement. So it's just a great example where it's very rewarding to be able to, you know, just make the connection between like really top tier talent that a small, you know, seed stage funded company would otherwise not be able to access and, and see that take off. And they talk about value add investors and, and sometimes that's a little bit of fluff, but that's a real kind of tangible example of that. I, I want to go back down to like a fundamental level just to make sure people understand the way an AngelList syndicate works. Because another part of this story is in any other time before AngelList rolled this out and, and you know, push me push back on this if I'm wrong. Um, but the idea that you could have a full-time job uh, at, at, at a kind of very large high-stakes technology company and simultaneously be able to run this angel investing with all the kind of uh, an angel listing group with all the kind of administrative uh, challenges that might come along with that was otherwise 
close to unthinkable, or you would really be sacrificing, you know, family life and sleep in order to get that accomplished. So can you just talk a little bit for, for folks? Cause we actually, we touched on this with the past interview with Matt Harbaugh about how an angelist syndicate works and what that kind of in the ways in which that is enabling for you. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, glad you chat with Matt. Matt's, Matt's awesome. Um, and has taught me a lot as well. Um, so how does a syndicate work? Well, from let's speak from the investor perspective. A, a, a pre-angelist syndicate would work almost like you would probably imagine. There's a smoke-filled room in a in a cherry-paneled office somewhere, and you know these these men. Uh, you know, yes, I'm being intentionally sexist because that's probably where things were landing. Would would walk into a room with their cigars and talk about you know, politics and, and, um, and maybe their friend's company. And they would engage with the expensive lawyer who would draw up the paperwork and negotiate the terms and they would all give their checks. And, you know, ultimately they would, they would pull together funds to invest in this company. Nowadays, thanks to, frankly, software, which AngelList has, has leveraged as their advantage, from an, in, from an investor's perspective, you can be anywhere in the world you can um, sign on to not only AngelList, there's many other platforms, evaluate the syndicates that match your thesis, whether you're interested in robotics, autonomy, uh, life sciences and reinforced thesis, or you're invested, you're, you're more interested in like consumer goods. You, you would choose that thesis, choose that syndicate lead, uh, apply to join their syndicate. You know, you, you basically provide a few lines of your background, maybe a LinkedIn profile and what you're looking to, to uh, invest in. If there's a match, then you're accepted in. Uh, and then you basically have a web UI where you can look at the current open deals, look at the terms, look at the diligence, ask questions, and then submit your commitment. And it you know, magically is ACH'd out of your bank and then is pulled together. And, and that, that pool of, of funds is then invested into the, into the company. So it's, it's very low friction from an investor point of view. But your actual question was like, how do I, as a syndicate lead, manage to do this while having a rather intense full-time role? Again, thanks to that platform that, that all the administrative is taken care of, where the, you know, once a, once a decision is made to invest, um, because all of this happens on the back end, the, the funds are pulled, an LLC is created, the rather standardized documentation is drawn up by the AngelList legal team, the contract is reviewed by the AngelList legal team. Once everything is above board and legal and makes sense and matches the terms, then the transaction is done. And all of the LPs, whether it's two LPs or 200 LPs, thanks to software, have their own uh, subscription agreement, their own legal documentation, their own proof of ownership of you know that, that part of the LLC, which then is the one line on the cap table of the company you're investing in. So the, the other element of that is Okay, great. So you've got the administrivia figured out because you're using the, the AngelList platform in this instance. But surely there's a lot of time spent in understanding which companies to invest in, getting that deal flow, doing the diligence, having the conversations, and then you know at least triggering and ensuring and supervising the, the administrivia goes to plan. Yes, but again, uh, I'm I'm super honored to be in this group of technologists that provide access to the deal flow, right? Their friends, their family, their colleagues, their network is also 
spinning out companies, setting up companies, no people that are. And, you know, the network effect of once they've seen the quality of diligence or at least the time we invest in the, the, the diligence we do and the thesis, the very specific thesis we have, um, we, we get a lot of incoming deal flow that matches that thesis because they know that we can have a, uh, you know, a really rich conversation with that founder and probably help them. And, and um, said another way, said another way, if, you know, Mary is at, you know, some, you know, major technology company and one of the best engineers in her department leaves to go start something, she knows that contextually. And so when she comes back to the syndicate as a part of the syndicate and be like, yo, you, you need to check this out because um, Greg knows his stuff or, or whatever the thing may be, that's a, that's a relatively strong signal for you in terms of this being worthy of the the time to go hunt that down. Yeah, it, it is a strong signal. Um, and then with that filter, so to speak, we, we then can very easily basically orchestrate or delegate, right? Um, let's say it's a computer vision based uh, technology that the company is building. I, I, can, I can phone a friend and say, hey, do you mind just chatting with this company and you know assessing whether the technology is is different and stands up to where they want to go with it. You know, what do you think of their team, the technical expertise, the depth, the, the defensibility. And then, uh, you know, that individual or, or group of people go off and, and, and do the work and come back with a recommendation. So it's really about leveraging the skill set we have in the syndicate without me personally, you know, spending tens of hours searching for deal flow because that's incoming or doing diligence because there are people smarter than me that know more than me that can do a better job at the diligence. And, you know, that's what, that's what we do. Right on. So I want to talk a little bit about the portfolio, but really kind of as the lens of, of understanding your perspective on autonomous vehicles, generally, at least as a starting point, um, there's plenty of companies in the portfolio that are not, you know, like up content, for example, uh, is not explicitly in any way, shape or form associated with autonomous vehicles, but we mentioned locomotion edge case research. Uh, we've also had uh, Mike Wagner on the on the show as well. And so as someone who is, like you said, at one of the most well-established, best capitalized, largest autonomous vehicle teams in the entire globe, the fact that you're still investing in that space um, and see opportunities there, it's obvious that you would have a competitive advantage in evaluating those type of firms. But, but what can what can you tell us about your thesis about the future of autonomous vehicles generally by the fact that you are placing these bets in your investment portfolio in addition to obviously you're placing a bet there with your primary career choice? Yeah, some would say too many eggs in one basket when you put it like that. Not not a smart <laughs> idea, but uh, I, I go all in when I'm passionate. Um, I mean, clearly there's a lot of consolidation going on, and clearly that's because. The, the, uh, the industry realizes that it, it takes a lot of time and money to build something as something that needs to something so complex but needs to be so safe. And in order for that to scale, there's obviously still a lot of capital investment required once you have you know the, the safe product ready to go. So on one hand, that's where um, I think the, the at least taxi, side of the industry is going self-driving taxi side we'll probably see a little bit more consolidation there but what's interesting and what what fascinates me is the i guess you could use the cliche you know the great unbundling is happening right going back to my comment earlier when you asked about 
how do you differentiate when you when you look to hire these hard to hire people? Because these these engineers have been building the same like subset of the overall system, whether it's motion planning stack or the back end infrastructure, they have this expertise. It's really really uh, uh, rare and very specific and unique expertise that they've built. I don't know, maybe this log indexing system, which is a real example of a Pittsburgh company that's coming out of style soon, that, that no one else has had that hands-on experience in a self-driving company that have had the opportunity to you know, um, process terabytes of information and, and, and provide the, uh, the system that, you know, the subsystem that is, is a, a key part of the overall workflow that is autonomy, whether it's self-driving cars, trucks, food delivery robots, uh, flying drones, whatever. And so these individuals are, are starting to, you know, look at their choices of, okay, do I go into this, this company and build the same thing again? Or do I spin out my own company and build it? Because where I see from the founder's perspective, things going is this great unbundling. And when new startups arise, they're not going to be able to rebuild this, this infrastructure that, that took the big incumbents you know, billions of dollars and trial and error to build, right? They just can't. So they're gonna have to license these, these technologies and basically build their own stack through a combination of off the shelf libraries and uh, 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 specialized infrastructure uh, and, and software and services. And so that, that, that uh, unbundling, so to speak, is, is happening and it will enable the next generation of uh, robotics uh, startups and so th this service layer is emerging and it, it's super interesting to see which parts of the stack is are being you know unbundled so to speak and spun out the startups here and so I, i've used this analogy before and you can you can tell me if this is a bad or, or decent interpretation we think about like a traditional automobile manufacturer and it's this oem with all these different sub companies that actually bring all the parts together for the eventual assembly of the car and there's the you know the brake rotor and these other like micro widgets and the, and the one kind of specialized firm coming together autonomy in the future has a, a realm where it looks like that where it's this assembly of these subdomains of what makes an autonomous vehicle possible all coming together under a specific banner of whatever the application may be if that's you know if that's trucks if that's you know planes drones cars or something in between yeah uh, another way to think of it is, you know, before GCP and AWS and Azure, uh, everyone built their own infrastructure from scratch, right? Um, and then we started to see you could buy libraries and you could buy monitoring services that ping your web server or whatever. And then we had the more, uh, you know, lower down in the stack offerings from AWS start appearing in competition from GCP and Azure. So I think it's absolutely going the same way where you can buy those services off the shelf, so to speak, whether they're on-prem or on the cloud, who knows? whether it's AWS and Azure and GCP that, that start acquiring these companies and offering more specialized elements of their infrastructure to the autonomy industry, who knows? But it's certainly you know, that parallel that I think is starting to happen. Right on. Well, you and I've learned, learned a ton here um, and, and we are already up towards our, uh, our, our time limit that we said beforehand. Uh, before we kind of aim towards our, our standard last questions, was there anything else you were hoping to share today that I didn't give you a chance to? Any other you know, companies you want to shout out? I mean, I'd love to shout out all the companies that have given Reinforce you know, their time 
whether we invested in or not or helped or didn't um it's just been a fascinating journey for me and 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 our 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 group to um you know build a broader network especially here in pittsburgh so yeah if if anyone that's listening wants to reach out ewan at reinforcedventures.com love to see if i can help in any way so, so I can't let you off here without a couple more stories just about um, your portfolio companies. We've had these uh, either CEOs or founders on in past episodes, but from, from your vantage point as one of the investors, can you just, you know, spin us a yarn or two? Sure. Uh, so edge case research that you alluded to earlier, um, this is a company I've been following for a while. Uh, just as, just as company with a thesis that fascinated me. You know, it's the future of insurance, but yet it's producing a, a way to uh, identify the, the, the long tail in perception systems. Like the con- connecting those two is, is, uh, is kind of hard to do, but they've done it and I think it's amazing. Anyway, the point is um, when, when, up, when Reinforced Ventures was up and running and I, I looked at them again and realized we were way late, they had just, just nearly finished their series at, a, at quite a high valuation, which was beyond our means typically. So I, I then thought, well, you know, screw it. I, I'll, I'll try. I happen to know and be friends with the, the VP of engineering there. So I think I, I was texting him, just said, okay, uh, you know, what's going on with you around? Could, could I maybe, could we talk? And he was like, no, no, you know, it's, it's kind of finished, you know, small fry. No, sorry, not going to work. Go on. Can you, can you just chat with the CEO? And he said like, okay, okay. And he was actually in the meeting with the CEO at the time. And he and he sort of like you know elbowed the CEO and said, hey, you know my friend Ewan Reinforced Ventures, can you do anything? So um, ultimately, he ended up twisting his arm. I had a meeting with Mike. Mike Mike was in, so we we squeezed in at the end of the round. So that was a as a huge win for us as uh, as the small guys getting into such a uh, a prominent company in, in that space. That was awesome. Right on. And then uh, the the one kind of outlier is um, up content and Scott Rogerson, who we interviewed way, way, way back in the day. I bet that most listeners haven't even heard that episode because that was one of the OG ones. Yeah, it, it is an outlier and an outlier for a reason. Up content to me is, is, a, is a super clear example of where the future's trending and, and not many people see that yet. If you look at um, LinkedIn or I don't know, PR wire, like any typical outlet where you would see uh, a company produce some some content about why their company is great or why their product is great. Usually, or, or rather a few years ago, it would come from a faceless marketing department or PR department, right? Where it would be, you know, super clean text, very boring, uh, you know, towing the company line perfectly. And then fast forward to today, where we don't see that much anymore because we, the, the, the public don't buy that or B2B, we just don't buy that. What we want to see is the identity of the individuals, of the expertise that's in the company. And so you see people posting like, um, you know, a, a perception engineer in, 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 a, in an autonomy company being interviewed and talking about their role and how they're hiring or the, the, um, the head of marketing talking about why they're passionate about the company that they're being employed about. But the point is, it's content that comes from the employees, right? And it provides an identity that people resonate with um, and connect with. And therefore, that's why, you know, marketing has moved from that faceless department to really leveraging the individuals in the organization to provide content. But to do that at scale, right, 
you need to have tools and workflow and you need to ensure that the message that, that you're basically orchestrating across thousands of people passes various regulatory hurdles as well. If you're talking, for example, from a financial advisor can't say certain things, right? So do you have that level of filtering and that whole like platform? No one's, no one's doing that. Up content has been doing that for years. And so like where they're going and the, the, where the future converges to that is going to be huge, uh, which is why I'm so passionate about what our content are doing. Because it, it one is it you know it meets where the future is going, but two it actually empowers individuals to build their own brand, and also helps the company that they're working for at the same time, which I think is is super important. Right on. We've already taken one of our, our last questions, which is the digital coordinates that you want to drive people towards. We'll make sure that that's uh, linked for people. We'll also link the website and the LinkedIn profile. Anywhere else you want people to check out. That's what we have. Perfect. Find that at goingdeeperthereand.com slash podcast for every episode of the show or in the podcast app where you're probably listening to this right now. Before we let you go though, Ewan, I want to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. All right. So I spoke about following my curiosity, which led to building reinforced ventures. I, I guess my, my lesson in life is always to, uh, just follow your curiosity. You don't have to have a plan. Just follow it. See where it goes. So uh, I would challenge anyone up for it to do the same. Whatever you're curious in, go and speak to the next person. Take baby steps. See where it leads. You know, one of the, the best examples of that that I recently saw was a company. I, I want to say that the salary was like 80K or something to basically be their meme maker. All you're doing is uh, shitposting memes on the internet on behalf of this brand or firm. And if you would have tried to explain that to someone 10 years ago, I, I, it would have been beyond laughed out of the room. They would have just looked at you dumbfounded like that was even a possibility. But there is some probably kid out there who has been making memes just out of their, the love of the game and their own kind of curiosity as to where things could go. That will be the perfect person for that. And will you know, in a couple of years have to go see aunt and uncle, whoever for the holidays and try to explain what they're doing. And we'll have no conceivable notion that that's possible. But to me, that's evidence of the likelihood that, you know, even if it's hard to see what that endpoint is, following your curiosity will very likely take you to uh, an exceptionally interesting place. Cheers to that. Amen. Uh, well, this has been fantastic. Once again, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. Thanks for the opportunity. We just went deep with you and Gutridge. Hope you're out there. Has a fantastic day. Thank you so much for listening to the end of the conversation. If you want to go deeper and find more nodes of connection to the conversation that you just listened to, I've linked three episodes in the show notes that are highly relevant. Two of the autonomous vehicle startups that he has invested in, Edge Case Research and Locomations, respective founder CEOs, and with Matt Harbaugh, a fellow investor based in Western Pennsylvania, who not only shares a couple portfolio companies, but a similar long road into investing in startups. Thanks for listening. We've got a great episode coming for you next week. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.